subscribe. Or I'm lucky, I get all my, most of my software for free because we're a marketing automation yeah. software company. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm lucky with yeah. that one. But the... Um, <laughs> Welcome to episode 188 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast, part of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's Saturday the 21st of October. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm a CMO, but I'm no rockstar. But with the help of my guests and chums that I've met on my journey from sysadmin to CMO, we share our marketing street knowledge that we hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests at rockstarcmo.com or follow us on LinkedIn. This week in the marketing studio, ex-Forester Research Director Jeff Clark gives me some advice on marketing budgets. And my charm and content marketing guru Robert Rose shares a thought about being controversial over a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Rockstar CMO Studio with Jeff Clark, our resident strategy advisor and former Forrester Research Director, and my opportunity to get some free advice. For me, it's budgeting season. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Ian, welcome back to the studio. Thank you, mate. I think How we're on you? episode 188 we're recording right now. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how many of those episodes uh, have been. Have you been on? You haven't been on every single episode, but I think you've been on many, no. many, many. I have been on many. Yeah, many. Yes. And how are you? I am doing well. Um, Good. Yeah. You know, we're uh, having. I was as I told you earlier. I was out for a walk with my wife. Mm-hmm. Beautiful fall day. It's sunny. The, the colors, the fall colors say. in New England, are are uh, upon us. You got the leaf peepers. Leaf peepers all around, yeah. Nice, but beautiful. Yeah, we haven't quite got there yet, but we've had storms, and I've been away on a business trip, and I flew in delayed into a storm, and it's been pretty miserable. But with the sun came out for a little while today, and I was able to go for a walk, and it's uh, not too bad. But yes, we don't have awesome. Have got haven't quite got the beautiful full colours that you guys have up there in New England. <laughs> So, my friend, uh, that's agenda number one out of the way. That's, that's the weather, which is splendid. The next item on our agenda, which is a purely selfish one. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been starting to talk about this a lot as me getting free consulting, and I think that's, that's the way. And, and by the way, listeners, if you need some consulting, uh, 
I know, but not free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that Jeff is available. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so this is my opportunity to, to use this podcast just to get some advice from you. Um, uh, because we're entering budgeting season and, and my company runs a January to December budget cycle, uh, a financial year rather. And so it's always at this time of year that uh, we're you're not just thinking about it, but we're planning it. And I think it's funny, I, I saw in the notes, you've had similar, you know, we've talked about having similar experiences where sometimes this is actually being done in January, but we're in the fortunate position of being this in October. <laughs> yes. So Good. when it comes Good to budget... You. As a B2B CMO, what should I be thinking about? What say you, my friend? Well, I, as you as you alluded to, um, mm. you know, we've been through kind of the highs of lows of working with companies. And I remember one company I worked back in the aughts uh, where it's like, you know, as soon as Q2 was finished, they were slightly off. They were like one month off the calendar cycle. But as soon as Q2 was finished, so some summertime meeting, We'd all get together. How do we do? What's important next year? Let's wow. start planning. And mm. and it was, um, it's like, well, this is, I mean, this was a good process. That's and then uh, a couple companies later, it was like, you know, you would, you would, you know, the CMO would get us to go through some planning uh, and then say, but what are the goals? Uh, what's our budget? And it's like, well, we don't know. And it's like, you wouldn't know until after New Year's. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, you know, how... So you're in the middle, you know, you're in the middle of the next year trying to plan yeah. the year. And uh, it's, you know, that's, that's yeah, unfair yeah. for everybody concerned. Um, so uh, my, uh, my condolences to anybody who is in that situation. <laughs> well, you've got uh, to think as well, if you're in that situation, that organization is just considering marketing to be almost a cost or a tax off the top end. So it's just it, nobody's thinking about what money do we need for marketing? They're just saying, all right, it's just 7%, 6%, 15%, whatever. Yeah. And off you go, go spend it. And I'm not going to tell you yeah. until January the 1st. Yeah. and yeah. But it also, if you can't come, if the company can't even come up with what are its goals for the year until, mm. the, until you're in the year, I mean, mm. whether it's revenue or you know, markets you're trying to capture or companies yeah, yeah. you're trying to, it's like, it's, it's, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a bad, bad situation. Yeah. I mean, um, different so markets. if you're in that situation, get out no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, or try and bring change. Sorry. <laughs> or bring change. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think with, with, with a lot, yeah, I think with, with budget, um, I think a lot of time us marketers have to roll with it. Don't we in that, in that yeah, respect? Absolutely. But, Yes. Yeah, but yes, yes, it's not it's not optimal. So um, I know that you have because uh, we have an editorial ca- um, strategy here. What, what's the right words? Editorial guidelines here on. Uh, we do have editorial Rockstar guidelines, CMO, and those editorial guidelines are me basically saying, "Please, may we have five effing things, please, Jeff?" And I think that this week you have the vet, that very same. So what say yeah. you, my friend? Rest well, and listeners should know that if 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 I can only come up with four or if I go to six, <laughs> seven or eight, then I, I have to lobby extensively. With Ian. <laughs> uh, in this case, five, five seem to work. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, but we may, we may determine that a rabbit hole Ooh, uh, that we need to go down. will 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 punt to a future episode, but yes, um, I have five things that I think are just, you know, fundamentals of good budget planning. Uh, and they're not necessarily, I mean, they might be construed as being in sequential order, but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily in sequential order because certainly if you've got, if you've got time to work on your plan for the next year, then, 
you know, you can do these things as the uh, information or the, uh, you know, schedule allows. Um, so, what's your first? Let me tell you what my yeah, first one what's is. Your first? My first one is to benchmark your budget versus a peer set. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes people think of this as, well, you know, if I find out that I'm, you know, I'm under budgeted or I'm over budgeted that, you know, this gives me the, uh, actually particularly if I'm under budget, it gives me, <laughs> you know, data points that I can go to the executive team and say, we need more money. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, certainly can be the case, although sometimes the, the, you know, the executive team will come back and say, yeah, but we're different, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so the important thing, one is to understand where are you versus a peer set. So if you're a large company, small company in certain markets, you know, uh, certainly in retail, there's a higher percentage uh, mm-hmm. and in technology, sometimes higher percentage of revenue put towards marketing than if you're in manufacturing or distribution. So you really have to look at what's my peer set by industry, company size, and maybe, you know, maturity. Mm. Uh, but I think what, what is even more helpful certainly to a CMO is if you take, if you look across allocations around staff programs, technology, outsource services, and, 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 you know, sort of kind of go to that next level down to see, you know, as, is my allocation of spend across various, you know, budget items, is it, is it what it should be? You know, if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm 70% staff and 30% programs, then it's, then it's like, well, no, it's like mm. you've got people, but you don't have any money to do anything with it yeah. <laughs> for the people to do, uh, yeah. you know, on the flip side, uh, you know, in some cases there may be where you can figure efficiencies where you have a smaller staff size mm. and you can spend more on programs. Um, but all of these things, you know, are, it's just, it helps you to, understand where you are versus the outside world. And rather than getting bogged down in the minutia, it, you just want to be able to understand is, is the balance okay? Mm. And if I can, if I can rationalize why the balance is different, mm. you know, why, why we truly are unique, then at least you understand that. But also as you go forward, if the company is trying to grow and you need to put investment into marketing, then it's, it's kind of something you can track to say, well, can we, can we push up either the overall percentage of our uh, of revenue for our marketing budget or can we push up programs mm. or can we invest in tech to you know to keep staff or services low you know it's it's understanding um, that you've benchmarked yourself and going forward you can create a game plan as to how to uh, manipulate those budget allocations yeah no I like this and I think that conversation is quite interesting because you're quite right I mean, if, for example, you were to spend uh, just a random example, I don't know this one, four um, percent of your mar- of your revenue on marketing, and you've got an executive team who's got slightly different ambition for what marketing can achieve, and they're looking at, the, at your competitors, you if you can do this kind of benchmark, you say, well, yes, they that's you know it, you're always cutting the cloth, aren't you? To cut, whatever that expression is, um, I always think that a budgeting conversation is like is um is an investment conversation isn't it so how much can you invest and it you know if it's this yep. amount of money then this is the return you're going to get and i think that's often the hard thing yep. for marketers to actually convey is is that yeah if we can if we can demonstrate to you the more you you can spend the, the better you're going to do then this benchmarking conversation really helps with that i think 
Absolutely. Yeah. And as you said, you're often viewed marketing can in certain industries is viewed as just a cost center. Yeah. And so how do you move from being just a cost center yeah, to something yeah. where yeah. it's it's an investment center? Yeah. I also think it was in, in, interesting about the point that you made there about staff versus cost, because I think I've seen that actually go too far the other way in a way in that you can you can have a really nice external budget to spend on things not not that aren't people. But unless you've got enough people, you can't actually get can't do it. you can't get efficiency in those things. So you set off all these little campaigns and events and stuff. And you haven't actually got any enough people to make those give you a return. So I think that 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 um Ben, that benchmark, that ratio is really important too. So that's cool. So that's so that's your first one. Benchmark your budget versus your peers. That sounds good. What's your second? Second is to take take those program expenses. Mm-hmm. And again, and and the part of this is some of the terminology. You know, when I was at um, Serious Decisions and Forrester, you know, we we did annual. Actually, it was biannual mm-hmm. or every other year. We would do surveys to see how do companies spend people programs, technology, and outsourced services. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, uh, you know, if you went to Gartner or if you went to other organizations, you might see things in different, um, different buckets, mm-hmm. but th- those are the buckets I talk about. So if you take those program expenses mm-hmm. and you, you should really try to separate out the campaigning work mm-hmm. uh, versus shared services. So campaigning is, you know, we're spending, you know, we either got a campaign, a content strategy, a theme, mm-hmm. or whatever, that's focused on a particular market, you know, uh, you know, expressing how we serve a particular need. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it's, it's, it's good to separate that work and maybe it's the multiple campaigns you're working on versus, you know, what I call the shared services. So creative operations, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, a technology team, uh, you know, the people that, uh, people and their, sometimes their, their, mm-hmm. their particular program spend that is really spread across the rest of the marketing team. But yeah. it's basically there to help the rest of the marketing team be more effective. And, you know, it's hard to always, you know, get into the minutia of, well, you know, this set of de- creative development went to this campaign and this set went to that campaign because sometimes it's, you know, it, it it's just not that clean cut. Um, mm-hmm. And, but anyway, by by doing this separation, you can understand: Are we spending too much on the shared services and not enough on our campaigning? And we'll get to this in the in the next one. But it's like you want to be able to say, you know, I'm spending a certain amount of money on certain campaigns to certain markets to deliver, you know, deliver a certain impact. And that's right. um, and that's another reason for for doing this. Um, and the one thing I want to note is, even though I said, you know, it's hard to get into the minutia to say what gets attached to what particular campaign. Certainly there are budgeting systems, you know, under the guise of marketing resource management that, you know, that can help you take every task and every project and allocate it to something, you know, whether it's spread across, you know, percentage wise or whether it's just associated with a specific campaign. But, but, you know, that's, that's a level of detail minutia that most, marketers can't get to hey <laughs> uh, that's quite a lot there te- Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you weren't sure what to say <laughs> no um but i think the back to the point um that you were originally making about separating um campaigns and shared services so um 
So the, the, the shared services, the basically the stuff that everybody's going to use, so creative ops and technology. And then what I've, what I've seen is like campaigns being like field marketing because they're focused on, um, they're more closer to demand gen and they're focused in the field a lot of the time, right? And so is that, is that the sort of campaigns that you mean or, or is this a broader, because we're always talking about the uh, terminology and the concept of what is a campaign. Yeah. So I'm talking about, you know, the sort of the broad themed, uh-huh. uh, multi-faceted campaigns that would include what's going on in corporate, digital, yeah. brand, PR, right. rolling all the way down to, as you said, you know, in the field where right. people within, you know, a particular region or business unit or something are doing yeah. very specific targeted efforts. But, you know, if you kind of roll all that together and say, I've got, maybe I got three, four you know, big campaigns that kind of mm. describe the majority of work we do. And then the shared services is what supports the people who are doing yeah, that no, work. And, but from a, a campaign, when, when you're um, splitting out uh, these campaigns, is there, is there a split in your mind with, um, because, you know, you're going to run brand campaigns that are almost like a shared service. You know, all the whole company needs to pay for the brand campaigns, and yet there'll be a campaign that's run within a particular business unit for a particular product or for a particular geo. Is that? Do you split those out as well? I I, I would, and 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 um, I mean, this does get us into a, a broader discussion. But it's like if you had a a broad branding campaign for the company yeah. that that's that serves all of the yeah. the individual needs you may address um then yes i would say you know that's one set of work as a campaign yeah. and then you may have two three four other uh more specific needs uh focused campaigns mm-hmm. that may be by business unit product line yeah um you know uh, industry etc and so um so you know you you know you want to be able to get to the to the the fact that we're we're trying to all each of those things is trying to create a very defined impact. Yes, and I want to be able yeah, to yeah. say I am spending so many dollars, pounds, On euros, yeah, to get that impact exactly. And that's why you can split out the shared services and stuff. Um, and also, yeah. I think this then moves on to your next point because because also what you want to understand is which part of your budget is having the maximum impact on the thing that the sales care about on revenue, right? And so, you know, the thing that I've talked right. about, awareness, revenue, and trust, we then understand, well, this is this budget is being spent and it's pure, the return is going to be awareness. It isn't going to be revenue. And, and so we need to do that. So we're on our third one. Your first one is benchmark versus budget versus your peers, then separate program expenses into campaign and shared services. What's your third? Well, it, we, we, we were tiptoeing into this. Find your path to ROI. Yeah. So from both your past, you know, mm. so if you're in review mm. mode for, you know, what did we do this past year, or in this case, probably your current year, yeah. and, and what it's delivering, and what do we want to do the next year? You want to be able to say, you know, and, and this, this works kind of at the, at the overall marketing level and then also at the campaign, as we were describing, level, is like, so for every you know, unit of money that we're investing in this, what is it delivering for us? Is it delivering, you know, pipeline? Is it delivering brand improvement? Is it delivering improved sales productivity? Uh, And, and each of those campaigns, if you will, or marketing may be trying to impact one or all of those things. But unless you, unless you 
start to do that view, um, you're not going to get to a, 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 um, an ROI discussion that you can prove. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically, you know, want to set it up because, because again, oh, is marketing just a cost center? Mm-hmm. No, we're not a cost center because we're spending so much money and maybe we're, we're going after a new market. So we've got a new campaign mm-hmm. on a new, that's, that's addressing a new customer need. And look what we're doing. We're actually improving our brand awareness in this market. We're actually driving some, influencing some pipeline. We're actually improving sales productivity with all the content we've produced. Uh, and again, you want to be able to look backwards and say, look what we did mm. from an ROI perspective. And going forward, this is what we want to be able to achieve. Mm. No, that, and I think when you, when you mentioned earlier on that there's a potential um, rabbit hole that we could dive down, I think this is probably <laughs> an episode in itself, isn't it? Because because your path to ROI, as you've described it here, is is also a path to attribution, which is also a hot topic on its own, right? And it's figuring out absolutely you know, what which part of your marketing budget is making the impact on which part of your outcomes that you want to do. So that's that's good. So that was your third. Find your path to ROI. What's your fourth? Determine if you have the right budget allocation model. Uh, and so we've been talking about allocating across, yeah, yeah. you know, what functions and campaigns and things like that. But, yeah. but you may need to step back and say, um, from an internal, from the way we internally organize this budget, mm-hmm. uh, and some of this may be dictated by the company itself because of the way they operate, mm-hmm. you know, is, are we looking at something where we're centralizing and controlling most of the budget? Are we, do we have a regional mon- model where mm-hmm. we're pushing money out to, uh, you know, territories, so they have more control. They can align with the, maybe the unique aspects of their business. Is it functional? You know, I have, you know, I've I've got a head of uh, communications. I got a head of demand. I got a head of mm-hmm. field marketing. I got a, blah 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 blah. And it's like I'm just giving them money, mm-hmm. and 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 they're going to take care of the decision making process. Um, or as you know, I think you know, in some of the work you've been doing recently is our business units, whether it's product oriented or, Mm. you know, uh, industry focused, are the business units, the one that need to have more control. Um, and, and kind of lastly, which I was kind of referring to in the, in the, the last step is, you know, do you take a campaign view where I've got senior campaign managers and they've got their own pipeline or brand quotas or whatever Mm. on their backs. And so I'm pushing the money to them, uh, and, um, and again, the CMO is going to be involved in how the, the, how the dollars are allocated mm. in all of these scenarios. It, it's just like, you know, who's actually, who act, is actually managing the budget on a day-to-day basis. And some models, uh, are easier. Like a centralized model is obviously easier for a CMO, a regional model or a business unit model tends to be more complicated. There's more, alliance building and diplomacy required <laughs> to make sure that the money gets spent the way that uh, the way they would like to see it yeah i think i mean from from my experience of various organizations i think that the the what what you want to do is you want to you want to build an efficient marketing organization and you want to be able to um you know you want to you want to have operational efficiency in there you don't want to create um silos and rep- replication of capability right and i think the trouble with the regional 
model when it goes too far or the product and business unit goes too far then you're basically just creating mini marketing teams in each of those places and you you end up with duplication you end up you also end up watering things down because rather than having one really super hot seo guy you you've got a little bit of somebody who does it part-time yeah um and yeah yeah, i think uh, yeah i think this is so how do you decide if you've got the right budget allocation model? Because you're you're saying here there are four, right? Which is regional, functional, business unit, or campaigns. How's the best way of telling whether your organisation is better suited to one or the other? Well, I think it is. Um, I mean, as I, as I kind of mentioned, is that sometimes this is dictated by the way the business itself operates. Uh-huh. So um, you know, I mean, I worked for a mid-sized software company that was very uh, geographically distributed, mm-hmm. you know, you know, revenue was coming from, yeah, you know, yeah. majority revenue from probably five, six countries, but there were a lot of other countries that were generating reasonable revenue. And there, so, and so when I got there initially, it was a very regionally centralized budget. Mm. Um, and then um, over time, the company started to make, some decisions that said, you know, we need to be to maintain profitability. We need to start centralizing functions. Mm-hmm. So not just marketing, mm-hmm. but we need to centralize functions. And so marketing basically went along that same path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it gets it gets difficult for, you know, if you walk into an organization as a CMO that is very defined by business unit, everything operates by the business unit. It's certainly hard to change that, mm. although you may, from a str- strategy perspective, you may assess the situation and say the company over the next two, three, four years needs to evolve to a different, maybe more centralized model for mm. um, for efficiencies. I mean, that's the thing. Centralized is great on efficiencies poor on control by anybody else <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah yeah and then all the other all the other models are i'm seeding some control yeah, yeah. uh and there may be a good reason to see that control yeah. um but if there isn't particularly as you look across um your competitors mm. so if you do you know if you, yeah. i mean go back to one of our other episodes where yeah. we talked about doing you know like the swot analysis yeah. if you say we're going to get killed by our competitors because they're able to move more mm. quickly more efficiently they're more profitable and we're still making decisions, uh, you know, in a very inefficient, decentralized model. Yeah, um, yeah. it's time yeah, to change. Yeah, and I think that the campaign one, your last one, is is is, is, is much more similar to the way B two C rolls, isn't it? They have products and campaigns. And yeah, that's that's the way they work. Oh yeah. So if we move on to your fifth, what's your fifth? The fifth, um, which may seem like a a minor point, but I know in in the past it's been helpful to me with budgets. But it's look for opportunities to capitalize expenses. Mm-hmm. So in the days of when you know a tech, you know, buying a marketing automation platform or a CRM was a capital expense as opposed to the today's subscription models, this was really important. Um, but there's still opportunities sometimes if you're um, you know if you're buying exhibit materials that you're going to use over years or, you know, like a, like a custom booth or something, or if you actually, your, your marketing department does some, which I have done in the past, some cost custom software development, Mm -hmm. then 
then you know those expenses can be uh, capitalized so that it doesn't hit you all at once. It hit, hits you over, yeah. you know, typically three years. Although it could depend on the company how they do capitalized right. expenses. So this is you know work with finance to see is there something that we spend money on that we can uh, you know allocate over years as opposed right. to have it hit this year's budget. Uh, in which case could, you know, open up money for programs and other things. Yeah, I think that's, that's I mean, at first I didn't, uh, because like you say, now nowadays we don't buy, you know, big expensive software products we, we lease or we subscribe. Or I'm lucky, I get all my, most of my software for free because we're a marketing automation yeah. software company. <laughs> um, so I'm lucky with that one. But the, um, so my ratios are quite different. But you're, um, but but I think that's interesting because you're right. I mean, we do spend money on things like exhibition booths, which may last, um, you know, a year or two. Um, and and I think that custom software development thing is quite interesting because often we're building integrations between things or we're, we, we'll, we'll do a big piece of web development, for example, which may last one or two or three years. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that one. So let me summarize. So we went from... Benchmarking your budget versus peers. That was your number one. Number two, separate program expense into campaigns and shared services. Number three, find your path to ROI, which is a whole in episode on its own. <laughs> number four, <laughs> determine if you have the right budget allocation model. And number five, did I say four or five just now? Anyway, number five is look for opportunities to capitalize expenses. Splendid, Jeff. So uh, what song are we going for? I mean, last two weeks, we've gone for some classics. What are we going for this week? Well, we're going for a uh, very interestingly um, uh, covered classic. Uh-huh. So the the song "Money," which I don't know how far back that goes. I know the Beatles did it, but anyway, yeah. it was uh, a really fun version by the Flying Lizards <laughs> from 1979. I know that's not just a few years ago, but uh, it is. <laughs> it's a. It, I had a chuckle listening to it. Um, and uh, yes. so, uh, so that's what we're going with this week: Good. money, flying lizards, nineteen seventy. Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly a classic. It's a classic song, is it? But it's a funny version of it, so I'll, I'll include that. So we'll play yeah. out with money, flying lizards, nineteen seventy nine. And uh, did we agree you're going to be in the studio next week? I think, so. I, I think we need to talk about that. <laughs> it, it might be booked. Let, let me check. We'll hash that out after uh, after we're done. All right, right. I'll speak to you later. Things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Thank you, Jeff. That was a little bit of money by the Flying Lizards from 1979. A bit of fun there from our childhood. And of course, us marketers don't just want money. And if you enjoyed that conversation and you're looking for some advice on any of the topics we discuss or would like to suggest a topic for the show, give Jeff a shout. You can contact him through our website at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of the week. To wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker of the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Gavin Roberts, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. It is, <laughs> I mean, it's deadly quiet in here. I mean, uh-huh. it is so quiet, uh-huh. I can hear... Can you, let, let's just listen really quickly. We can hear little mice squeaking. I think you've got, I think you've got some 
mice or birds or something like that's very faintly squeaking in the background. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, wow. Little mice yeah, squeaking. The yeah. door is very quiet today. And this I think those, helping. wait a minute, hold on, I'm listening, I'm listening. I think uh -huh. the mice, I think they're playing music. I think they're, <laughs> the, the, they're playing a music box or something like that. Anyway, it's, it's just lovely to be here when it's so quiet. Um, yes. The bar is usually boisterous and noisy, but now it's very yes. quiet. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Anyway, I look forward to discovering that in the edit. But yes, we shall listen. Yeah, you, but good luck mice. with that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I have a lovely uh -huh. drink for us, and it yes. is a bourbon drink, and it is a cl another classic. Last week we featured uh, featured a yep. classic, and this week we're going to yep. feature another classic um, yep. because I'm sort of in a classics mood uh, yep. this fall, and we are going to do a classic old fashioned. Um, oh, my one of my friend. Uh, this is one of my favorite drinks mm -hmm. um, in the world. This is one of my favorite drinks. And so it's, it's for those of you who aren't familiar with an old fashioned, it is bourbon or rye. And interestingly mm -hmm. enough, I actually prefer rye, but mm -hmm. and an old fashioned, but, um, but bourbon is classic. And then rye is sort of yeah. the, you know, nouveau way. I I'm guess, a bourbon man. On this one, um, yeah, bourbon is 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 a class. I love bourbon myself, but I'm I'm a big fan of rye. Um, mm -hmm. And then you add a sugar cube, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm not the simple syrup guy, so no simple okay. syrup here. A sugar, a pure sugar cube. Do the yeah. water, and then the key, of course, is the what makes it the old fashioned is the Angostura bitters, um, mm -hmm. and a little bit of an orange peel or a squeeze of orange or something mm -hmm. like that, just to give it that little orangey taste. Um, and you mix all that together, uh, muddle it, however you like to muddle things together, add your two ounces, four ounces, eight ounces, whatever is your pleasure of the whiskey, uh, add your ice, and then an optional maraschino cherry. Some people put the cherry in there. Some people don't put the cherry in there. I think it looks prettier without the cherry. Uh, and there you go. You have your classic old-fashioned. And you, uh, if you can get your old-fashioned down, you can bartend at just about any bar. Uh, I've, I've, um, yeah, I don't, yeah. I've, um, I've had, um, old fashions so many different places and such a range of quality of them. Right. Oh, and I indeed. think you're right. If you know, if you can nail an old fashioned and the other, you, know, the other you, you need yeah. to know when to order an old fashioned when you're in, like, yeah. you can look around a bar, yeah. you can sort of size yeah. up the bartender yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah, you yeah. can know, yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm just not going to do an old fashioned in this bar or, or I can totally do an old fashioned in this bar. It is, it yeah. is a skill that every bartender should know, but not every bartender Absolutely. does for sure. And the, I, what I love is the um, pride. Cause I think it, it is a measure of a bartender, isn't it? I think they know it too. So if you ask one, they, they're, they're certain. Oh, they'll certain... all tell you they can, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they'll absolutely. all tell you that they can't. But I mean, I've watched, yeah. I've watched, I've watched one bartender one time. I said, "Do you make a good old fashioned?" And he goes, "Oh, of course." Yeah. And I said, well, I said "I'll have an old fashioned then, since you're so confident." Oh. And he mm -hmm. then he he literally pulled out a bottle of you know uh, well bourbon, um, you know, threw some ice, poured it over the ice, then pulled out a bottle of orange juice and Ooh. like threw <laughs> threw a bit of orange juice in there, and then sort of <laughs> dashed in a bunch of bitters, and I was like. Okay, that's. I don't know what that is, but that's not an old fashioned. But okay, go. You know, you do you, my friend. 
<laughs> talking about not old fashions, and I am going to, I'm thinking retiring this joke, but talk, talking about not old fashioned, and I feel terrible because I love an old fashioned. Um, I am going to attempt to make that very drink using only the ingredients of my desktop bar. So I am going to start with the most English of bourbons, which we both know is gin. And so I shall pour in some lovely Hendrix gin. I've already put the ice and you might have heard me clinking away with that. And then the most English of oranges, which we all both know is the cucumber. I shall pour in some cucumber tonic water from the lovely people at Fever Tree who don't sponsor this show. And I'm going to see how that works. <laughs> I'm glossing right over this. I'm almost killing the joke on its own. <laughs> so let me taste. Mm. Just can't give it up. That is delicious. I <laughs> could drink one of these every week. So now we finish with that. Yes, the the, the old fashions. I I am. Um, I, yeah, I've run out of bourbon actually. But if 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 I'm, I have a reputation for drinking gin and tonic. But um, but but an old fashioned. Oh, I love them. I love them. All right. Nice. So we've started this evening very well. So a, an old fashioned. And where would we drink these old fashions, my friend? Well, I think we have to do it in a classic. In a, in a, I mean, because one of the best old fashions I've ever had was in a was in a bar in London. Ah, um, uh, and yes, you know there are some great fancy leather, you know, mm. bar stool, uh, dark, yep. wonderful bars. I mean, it, it it's really like when you go to New York bars and they're like that. It's like yeah, but they got their they they they, mm. they pattern it after some of those bars in London. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think we need to go find one of those really, you know, they're usually considered, I don't know if you'd consider them posh or not, but they're, but they're fancy, yep. right? They're, they're fancy, fancy yep. Uh, yep. bars in London yep. that have sort of the darkness mm-hmm. and lots of, you know, lots of brass, you know, that sort of thing. And, 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 you know, usually serving steaks of some kind. Um, but yeah, there we go. I think that's, where we're going to find ourselves. My good man, that just sounds like. I mean, let's let's screw this talking about marketing bollocks. Let's get onto the stakes. This sounds fantastic yeah. evening already. Anyway, when um, I completely agree with you, and I'm completely with you on that. But when the conversation eventually, because I can see some nice red wine in this evening and all the all the good things. When the when the topic turns to marketing, what are we talking about this week, mate? We're going to talk a little bit about controversial content. This is something that I cannot get out of my head, and I sort of had to write it down, literally, to to, to start thinking <laughs> about it. So, at Content Marketing World this year, we had a speaker who was just a a great speaker. His name is um, Derek Thompson, and mm-hmm. he is a writer for the Atlantic, and he wrote also wrote a book, and his book is called Hitmakers, um, and and he also has a podcast called Plain English, um, mm-hmm. great podcast by the way, if you're if you're into such things, and. When he was when he he gave a talk and it was a keynote at Content Marketing World and he talked about the power of familiarity, um, and basically the use of familiarity um, is to best infuse surprise with fam- familiarity. Right? He said, mm-hmm. basically, we as humans we like new things, but we don't like things that are too new. We we mm-hmm. want familiarity, and he uses a bunch of examples in this. Um, to, you know, sort of how do you sort of architect hits or things that will become very popular. And he uses like the success of sequels in the movies, adaptations mm-hmm. of novels, you know, reboots. Um, these are examples of new things that 
are existing that have a built-in familiarity to them. So we are much more, as humans, attracted mm -hmm. to them. And he's basically calling into he, – he's modernizing a theory that basically came out of the 1950s from an uh, industrial designer, a guy by the name of Raymond Lowy, who described this principle. He called it Maya, which was most advanced yet acceptable. In other words, what's uh. the most advanced thing yet acceptable? In other words, a balance between being curious about something new but yeah. the fear of anything too new. Yeah. Um, and he uses this example of Spotify, for example. He says, you know, so Spotify introduced this new, this new idea of an automated playlist mm -hmm. for you based on you, right? Mm -hmm. And interestingly, they put this automated playlist together for users and users didn't take to it at all. They didn't like it because um, it was all new music. Right. And basically, they, 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 when they went in, they quote unquote, uh, had fixed a bug to make it all new for people because the original algorithm would put in songs they'd heard before or that they had listened to previously. And so they fixed this bug to make everything brand new for the user and basically usage plummeted. Wow. And so the interesting thing is, is that they put it back in and usage went back up again. So we wanted that, the discovery of new music because we wanted the familiar songs to go, oh, they get me. They understand yeah, yeah, yeah. me, right? Yeah. And so as he summed it all up, his sort of headline is to say, you know, to sell something familiar, you make it surprising. To sell something surprising, you make it familiar. And I just love yeah, that idea. Yeah. It's just such a wonderful idea for yeah. creating content. Yeah. But it got me thinking, I, I wonder if there's another, you know, the consultant in me just can't <laughs> stop thinking about this kind of stuff. So, so I said, I wonder if there's another counterweight here that we can put another lens on that mm -hmm you know, the spectrum of surprising and familiar. And I wonder if we can put a spectrum of controversy versus consensus. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is that, so today we see brands struggling, yeah. right? With this idea of how controversial they want to be in their, yeah. their content, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's no shortage of this, right? So there's, you know, the profoundly serious, like, you know, politics and civil rights and healthcare yeah. and, diversity and equity and all these kinds of things to, you know, the stupid and the silly, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, is a hot dog a sandwich, right? Yeah. You know, by the way, hot dog is absolutely not a sandwich. It's a taco. And you should go look at the cube rule and don't at me because it's a taco. It's not a sandwich. Okay. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Basically, we get to this provocative idea and what we want to do is inspire conversation, right? We, mm -hmm. you know, the reason that, that any brand really takes a provocative point of view is because they're trying to get more, reach more people and create conversation. That's the whole idea, mm -hmm. right? And we feel like we can embed some sort of product or sales messaging into the body of that content and sort of, you know, let us stand for the provocative point of view. However, there's a problem. And basically, there's research out there that shows, and this is what inspired me to put this lens on it. So there's research out there that basically says controversy does induce conversation until it gets too controversial, where it then actually squashes conversation. In other words, you can have controversy up until mm -hmm. the point where people think it's too controversial, and then they don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And you can see that happening in life, right? Where it gets to politics mm -hmm. or religion. It's like, nope, yeah. I'm tapping yeah, out, yeah. right? I'm not going to yeah, yeah. have that conversation. And I'm certainly not going to have that conversation with, with a brand. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do we start to look at 
this idea of balancing the controversy we want to talk about with consensus, because consensus basically is what everybody is talking mm-hmm. about, and controversy is where we're sort of taking a distinct point of view on things, balancing that with the surprise and the familiarity. Mm. And so I literally sketched out this two by two, and we'll put a link in the show yep. notes to the where I where I sort of illustrate this in a two by two, where you can start to gauge as you start to come up with an idea with your marketing team, something that you think is provocative or that you think is okay. good, and sort of gauge it against consensus versus true controversy. Yeah. You know, so on the very left hand yeah. side of that, you might have like you know, who cares? Don't care. It's old news, yeah. right? You know, so. Coming out, for example, with a point of view about is the earth flat, <laughs> nobody's going to talk about that, right? That's not, that's, that's not going to be very valuable. Mm-hmm. However, coming out with a distinctly controversial opinion on diversity or equity or climate change or something like that might. Mm-hmm. But then you have to balance that with the familiar or the surprise, right? How much is it a surprise that your brand is taking a, an opinion on this? Because you don't want it too new where people are like, ooh, that's too new for me to go down that road with you. Mm-hmm. But you also want it familiar enough where they go, oh, this is a brand, right? Yeah. REI is a great example of that. Yeah. They use climate change and e- the economy and sort of environmentalism as a controversial topic. But it's so familiar that anytime they come out with something new about this, you listen, you care. They're yeah, differentiated yeah. at it. Yeah. And that's, you know. Same thing with you look at the opposite side of that coin with somebody like Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A is well known for being uh, fairly religious, mm-hmm. Christian religion, mm-hmm. but they, but it's, it's, they don't go there, right? It's, it's so familiar for them yeah. that they don't see it as a differentiating approach. And so therefore it's a who cares old news and they don't ever really yeah, focus yeah. on it as part of their marketing mm-hmm. message. So I created this kind of, little bit of a of, of a framework or a graph around that and hopefully it's a little helpful sort of, yeah. sort of for helping us identify where controversy lies versus familiarity lies and helping us sort of shape a message that might be perfectly familiar and perfectly controversial so that it's differentiating enough and yet has enough familiarity so that you know our audience will resonate with yeah it. cool I, I look forward to sharing that and i hope you do send me a link and i can put that in the show notes that sounds fantastic and also what i like about this topic is that it's it's kind of very related to the topic we talked about last week which is that familiarity you last week you were talking about borrowing content and, and you know t- taking t- taking ideas from your competitors and making them your own and that's the familiarity isn't it if you so in B2B, we're always talking about how, you know, our content is undifferentiated. Well, to a certain extent, it has to be familiar so that people recognize where you are in the category and who you are and what it is you do. And then there's that little bit of controversy or some spice that you can put on top of that, right, which makes it yours. Is that, am I, do you think I'm in the same? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, yeah. yeah. And there's another layer in there as well, yeah. which gets to another thing that research has shown which is this, um, this, this concept of, uh, it's called the polarization concept. Uh-huh. And what researchers have found is that teams of people mm-hmm. will tend toward extremes when it comes to having a point of view. Right. In other words, you have a team of people together and they're, gonna t- and they're gonna collaboratively put together a point of view on a topic. Mm-hmm. Because it's a team, they will usually formulate a polarized version of that point of view. In other words, they'll either go 
completely soft pedal it and make it old news nobody cares or they'll go hard on it and you can see this happen a lot in marketing right where the team comes out with something that goes way too hard Mm -hmm. on a particular topic and the business doesn't really believe that Mm -hmm. right in other words the marketing team went too far out on the ledge about what the business actually believes in this controversy because they went too hard on it the bud light Dylan Mulvaney story is a perfect example of this, right? Mm. What they didn't do was make sure that the business believed in what they were saying (laughs) before they went out and said it. And the team went in Bud Light's eyes too far. Now you can argue whether they went too far or not, but the point is, is that in Bud Light's, the business's eyes, they went too far. And so that's this idea of polarization at work. And so what you have to do is temper it, right? Yeah. In, on both sides, you have to balance yeah, it. You have to yeah. consciously balance to say, hey, do we really believe this and do we want to stand by this? Yeah. Or is this too soft peddling and it's basically commoditized and nobody's going to give a crap? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I've got a, a, a silly example that just came to mind, this similar sort of thing. Like I was um, on a panel at, at, a, at an event and I tend to swear a little bit as listeners all have observed of this show, right? And um, I was I was I was side by side with a competitor, like real slick CMO, um, doing all the selling and all this kind of stuff. And I was basically just you know being me and then swearing occasionally. And uh, somebody <laughs> some, somebody actually in the marketing team said, "Is that really on brand for us?" And it made me think a little bit. Is you know I I was too shocking for some people because I swore, and um, they didn't know that was my personal brand but wondered whether it reflected well on our brand. So I, I'm, I've kind of been thinking about this recently, about how, you know that balance of going too far and making sure you're still, you're not shocking people to the extent you're, you're how do I put this? You're getting attention, but you're not shocking people so far that it turns them off. I think is, what, is also what you're saying with this controversy. Right, that's the, that. yeah, that's yeah. getting to the extreme of the controversy, yeah, yeah. right, where people don't want to exactly. talk about it because it's too, yeah, yeah. It's too out there. Yeah. Unless you, unless, and, and, and you can go further to the extreme of that yeah. if you move it up into the, into the quadrant of familiarity, yeah, right? Yeah. In other words, if it's surprising yeah. and too new yeah. and controversial, yeah. That's where you're going to get into trouble, but where you're, where you have, you have a history or you've earned your way into that conversation of the controversy and it's familiar to those people, it become as a, as a result of it, it becomes less controversial. You know what I mean? I'm tempted to use the word that's completely hackneyed that I use a lot in these expressions and that is authentic, right? If you can be authentically controversial, then maybe you're in a good place. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or just, yeah. I mean, or, or just consistent, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's like earning your way up, a, a, up, a, up a ladder of temperature, right? Yeah. So in other words, you think of somebody who does this really well, yeah. like an REI or yeah. even Nike to some extent with yeah. what they did with, you know, Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. and some of the messaging that they did, yeah. they didn't just, they, they didn't go from zero to a hundred, yeah. right? Yeah. They, they, the, the, yeah. the ways that they entered that conversation were, yeah. you know, sure footed. Yeah. Let's put it that way. You know, I, I will not, I, I won't say fast or slow, but the, it, they were sure footed in the way mm-hmm. that their audience would recognize mm-hmm. the familiarity mm-hmm. with that brand, having that opinion. Yeah. And therefore, when they have that opinion, yeah. 
again, you may disagree with it, but you're familiar enough with them that you're not going to shy away from it based on their, you know, based on their, uh, their, their, their having of the opinion. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I love the way that last week's topic and this topic blend together so nicely in those, those two ways. This is perfect. Thank you very much, Robert. And when people are looking for appropriately controversial content that's completely on brand and invoice, where are they going to find that? Well, they'll find it certainly talk, spoken about in my newish book yes. <laughs> called Content Marketing that's Strategy. Uh, which you can get all kinds of free other assets and things like that at contentmarketingstrategy.com, where we also have our coaching and and, um, access to to me uh, and my wonderful colleague, Kathy McKnight, Mm -hmm. from a a coaching and training capability. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as well on our website, which is contentadvisory.net, which is where we talk about all things big company consulting and all those love kinds that, of things. Love that. And Kathy's, Kathy's been on the show a few times. Absolute delight. And I would recommend anybody to talk to either of you about anything ever. <laughs> so when there people spend the, spend the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, mate? Uh, you know, LinkedIn mm-hmm. is probably the best place for me to connect these days. Yeah. I have given up on our friends, yeah. Elon's platform. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. it's uh, that's, probably, that's... probably LinkedIn. I'm, I'm having a, Grand old time on LinkedIn. That's where it's at. Having wonderful community there. Yeah, that's where it's at. And most importantly for me, will you be in the bar next week? Yeah, hopefully you'll get a band or something. <laughs> so quiet. <laughs> I booked yeah. the whole bar for you this week, and unfortunately you could hear the mice. So there you go. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you next week, mate. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. I really enjoyed that conversation. So being slightly controversial could be your differentiation. So that's a wrap on episode 188 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insights and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Find all of our links and the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your favorite podcast app, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I'll be diving down the ROI rabbit hole, and Robert will be back in the bar sharing his cocktails and content marketing advice. And until then, have a great week. I hope you can join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.